This is Heat Check, broadcasting live on Twitter, BlazeRadioOnline.com. There are many college basketball na- shows named Heat Check. This one just so happens to be ours. I'm Peyton Gallagher. That's Gabe Swartz. And this is where it actually starts. We got a tournament. We did the fun stuff. This is where legends are made. It's time for the Sweet 16. Before we get into that, though, Gabe, some housekeeping. I know that there was a lot going on across the country outside of Indianapolis. Lots of transfers to get to. We also have the fact that Lon Kruger is retiring effective today at Oklahoma after a 45-year career. So where in the headlines do you really want to start here? Well, the the Kruger retirement um, came as somewhat of a surprise, but not necessarily as much now that you've seen the last week and, and the, the news out of Las Vegas, his son, Kevin Kruger, going to take the job as the UNLV head coach. It seems like Lon wants to head out there, start his retirement, be around his grandkids, watch his son coach a Division One basketball program. You can't really blame him. <laughs> um, in researching the Oklahoma job, a lot of people would say, oh, maybe it's not that great of a job. Maybe Lon was one of the better yeah, people. Yeah, pretty to good mid-high major with upside. It's it been a couple a final be, fours. It's a better job than people are willing to yeah. give, give them credit for it being the last. I, I think I looked it up. Thirteen head coaches all time. Only two of them have ever finished below five hundred, um, and those were late fifties, early sixties. Mm-hmm. So it's a good job. I'm in, intrigued to see um, who ends up taking over in Norman. But what I would say is, from everything that I've read and such, um, it looks like it could be guys who are hanging around or have made right. a name in the in the start of the tournament, whether it's Abilene Christians, Joe Golding, or whether it's Oral Roberts, Paul Mills, somebody like that. You could see sure. Paul Mills make a jump from ORU to a, a Division One program, kind of like Bill Self when he went from ORU to Illinois. So I could see mm-hmm. that happening. Um, certainly with the tournament success, I know North Texas's head coach, um, can't remember the name off the top of my head, but he's in the mix as well. And then, of course, they could go the assistant coach route or whatever. But it'll be interesting to see where OU goes from from here. Lon Kruger, a sneaky, underrated all-time coach. Yeah. One of the three guys ever who's gone with five, five different schools. Five schools in the NCAA yeah, tournament. Went to seven with UNLV. So really impressive stuff um, and kind of an early retirement for him, but completely understandable. So mm-hmm. not the most shocking news on this uh, Thursday, after, Thursday midday, mid-afternoon. Yeah, it, it was a little bit like, wait, well, what? Um, at first, because, you know, you just figured he was a guy that at 65 probably had a little bit left to give, a lot left in the tank, um, and they were having success. And like you said, by the way, uh, Oklahoma's a team that existed before Blake Griffin and uh, Buddy Heald. Like, they went to Final Fours. They've been to multiple Final Fours now. Kruger got them to one. I'd say a successful head coaching stint there. A good place for him to uh, end his career. Uh, that program's going to be in a little bit of a rebuild. I know Austin Reeves kind of indicated in his postgame presser after they lost to Gonzaga that he's going to be done there, not going to take up the opportunity to use that extra year of eligibility granted by COVID and by these circumstances. But I think it's a, a promising job and a good place for somebody to make that jump into high major basketball. In a very, very competitive conference. Um, so we'll see who gets that job. I, I think it coming open a little bit later than some of the other 
ones is going to be interesting to see how it fills out. But so it's not like a ton of them have necessarily filled right. up and such. Minnesota's got their guy. I believe Boston College is kind of made their hire. So it'll be interesting to see who uh, takes that job and then the domino effect that that causes and who fills the job of the guy who takes the Oklahoma job. Mm-hmm. So we'll keep tabs on that. Another thing going on right now is that the players who are done with their season are starting to announce their plans for next year, whether that may be the draft or the transfer portal. In the case of Marcus Carr, it is both currently. I think he's entertaining both options. The highly touted super scorer from Minnesota will not be playing there next year. I don't know if it means he's going to be playing in the league or not, but he could be an option for some schools also. Um, joining him in the portal, Kellen Brady announced this week that he's going to transfer from Davidson. He was supposed to be the next Steph Curry. Got to the NCAA tournament, what is it, three years ago now? Led them to the NCAA tournament. Lost to Kentucky in the first round. Very close game. You're like, oh, this guy's going to be around for a while, and they've not gotten back to the tourney since. So he's going to try his hand at another program. Average just under 18 points per game this year. Is going to be a good option somewhere. And then the five-star from North Carolina, Walker Kessler, Daron Sharp leaving. Um, Garrison Brooks, I would assume probably not coming back. Maybe I'm quick to that. but uh, I think he mentioned something about using his grad year somewhere else. So, so well, and that's important too. So you're expecting Walker Kessler to, you know, step up and be their dude next year, but he's going to transfer, so that's interesting as well. Anything to add on that before we dive into what's going on that actually matters, and that is the NCAA tournament. Lots of really, I mean, interesting names. Xavier Pinson's leaving Missouri. Yep. Trey Mitchell leaving UMass. Mm-hmm. The most notable trend or team impacted might be Indiana. They've kind of had a mass exodus. I think Al Durham's gone. Race Thompson announced he's leaving. Armand Franklin's leaving. And Parker Stewart. So that's four guys. I think Al Durham um, wouldn't surprise me if he goes to Georgia to be with Tom Crean, who recruited him to Indiana. Um, Race Thompson, I think some people have linked him to Minnesota and heading home to go back to play where he played high school ball. Mm. Um, But it'll just be interesting to see what is left over for whoever ends up taking the Indiana job. Um, Other than that, we'll just have to react and see what happens once these these guys, you know, find homes over the next couple weeks. Yeah, and that'll be developing. And again... Once we uh, get an opportunity to, you know, focus on something that's not the tournament, we might do a little episode and update you on the offseason yeah. and what that might Maybe look we'll like. Maybe we'll play matchmaker. Yeah, what we, we, we can do that. Yeah. We can manage that. Okay, let's get into the tournament, though. We're going to just get Top 5 Thursday out of the way quickly. Okay. Uh, and just jump right into it. So, I, I I'm, we're going to have a little fun on this one. The Top 5 Opportunities to Prove the Haters Wrong left in the 16 remaining teams in the NCAA tournament. I am going to start with my fifth, then we can count up. This one's a little bit of a a weaker one. I put Evan Mobley in. You are going to say Peyton. Nobody hates Evan Mobley. How many doubters, how many haters does he have? Like, literally maybe three. There might be three doubters of Evan Mobley on the entire Atlas. But what my point is, is that he doesn't actually have any haters to prove wrong. But, you know... There might be some people who aren't as lovers of him as much so as they are of Kate Cunningham. You're losing me. I you're doing failing fast. Poor sell job, sell job early on. Well, okay. What he can do is uh, prove the haters wrong who don't love him enough to say that definitively he is the best player prospect in this draft class because those haters do exist, and he is the the best player in this draft class. He might be the best player to enter the draft since Anthony Davis. 
I don't think that's too bad a stretch. Do you? I don't think so. I mean, you think he's that? You're with me now on the, him being over Cade. I think that yeah, I think that you can justify either selection at this point. And welcome to the, the dark side. The hindsight of the guessing and such mm-hmm. will be determined um, based on their NBA careers. But I don't think that you would say one or the other is a poor decision based on anything. You know. Okay. What's your fifth? My fifth. We're gonna stay in L.A. We're gonna go with Mick Cronin. Oh. So. The guy who went to his first ever concert when he got hired at UCLA. The guy who is 3-0 and in the tournament as the head coach of the UCLA Bruins. Better winning percentage than John Wooden. <laughs> That's true. John Wooden, only, he lost seven times in the tournament. Mick Cronin has yet to lose in Westwood in the tournament. That's true. So in late February, I was, I think at one point I sanctioned the UCLA fan base mm-hmm. <laughs> because there were stories coming out that... Um, Bruin Nation, I guess, as we can call them, didn't necessarily approve of the job that Mick Cronin was doing at the time. They weren't happy with the fact that UCLA seemed to be failing their way into the NCAA tournament and kind of going in on a on a losing streak. But I know that he has probably the toughest road to the Final Four. Considering you'd have to win seven games to win a national championship, yeah. too. And, it? Yeah. and five to get to the Final Four. Yeah. And... One of them would have to be against Alabama. One of them would have to be against either Michigan or Florida State, which is a tough matchup either way, given the size differential for UCLA. So I'm going to say number five, McCronin. He has plenty of opportunities to prove the the haters wrong this weekend. Johnny, and most of his haters are within his own circle. Yeah. So yeah, snakes in the grass for McCronin. Uh, I, I would just love if Mick Cronin just became very paranoid and was like, uh, like thinking he's going to get brutist by like everybody at UCLA all the time, and he's always like worried about job security. Like 15 years in, they've won a couple national titles, and he still thinks somebody's going to stab him in the back at all times. It'd be very funny. Um, okay, so at number four for me. Oh, also proving haters wrong. Johnny Juzang, hater namely being. Uh, Coach Cal. Yeah, Cal Pari. Who was a hater on his abilities and wouldn't play him. So he's like, I'll go to UCLA. And now he's... Average 20, 20 plus in the NCAA yeah, tournament. Yeah, like he's one of the top scorers in the tournament. It's unreal. Um, okay, so number four for me was Michigan as a team. Okay. Uh, I am one of the haters. I hated. I hated throughout the year. Then I bought in and then they lost Isaiah Livers and I'm like, you lost me. But, you know, they beat LSU handily. At the end, I mean, it, it was tense, but like they pulled away at the end. Shawnee Brown made huge shot after huge shot. And I think based on the consensus of people who actually know college basketball, not just your run-of-the-mill bracket picker um, at the office in the cubicle, Michigan's overperformed expectations to this point. Like, at least met them without livers by getting to the Sweet 16, right? I said to you... When we were getting through the bracket and such, there was a lot of things that I was picking and I was I was very confident about. The the Michigan, Colorado, Florida State, mm-hmm. LSU area of the bracket. Right. I said, I'm in three different bracket pools and I'm going to change a couple picks in each one. In that area, I'm changing a, cert- a couple things up and I'm just going to say, hands off the wheel after the first round, after Michigan wins. Yeah, Jesus take the wheel. At Michigan wins. LSU wins, Colorado wins, Florida State wins. And then once we get to the round of 32, 
I'm no longer taking credit for anything I say in, in that area. I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna let let the the dominoes fall as they do, and we'll see what happens. Um, so I don't want to say that I didn't give Michigan credit or that I doubted right. them because I kind of just said hands up. I have no idea what's gonna happen. I have no idea how much Isaiah Livers being gone is going to matter. Yeah. But the fact that they got the best punch from Cam Thomas and Trenton Watford and they still won that game. Right. Javante Smart. Javante had twenty seven. Cam Thomas had thirty. Th- that's very impressive. So we will see. The referees had 16. The referees had a lot to do with the outcome as well. Yeah. Um, we'll see how they deal with Florida State's length because Florida State's going to defend them in a way that's completely different than yeah. the, the way LSU did. Yeah. Um, Size to go up against Hunter Dickinson as well inside. And I looked at the, the line, two and a half points for Michigan. It wouldn't surprise me if that game goes either way. Yeah, and I think that's where everybody out was at. I, I, Florida State was an extremely trendy Elite Eight, Final Four pick as a four seed. The way they played at the end of the year, I was not so sold, right? Like, I was a little bit out. And, like, Florida State does this every year, and that that will be included later in my list. But uh, the biggest thing for me is, like, for Michigan, that has to be so frustrating to win everybody over throughout the course of the year, convince them that you are in that, that tier with Baylor, with Gonzaga, maybe to a lesser extent with Alabama, teams that people think legitimate Illinois legitimately could win a title and then to lose one guy and all of a sudden every the, it, nothing matters anymore like Isaiah Livers isn't even their best player yeah you're on you're on the he's the, probably the third the best take he's probably the third best behind Dickinson and, and Wagner so for them that has to be really frustrating and then for Jawan Howard trying to prove the haters wrong and get to his first final four at Michigan as a player or a coach because we know that he never got to one at Michigan because the NCAA told us that never happened, right? That's, so that's that's, that's a big chip on his shoulder. So you're, there you go. You're selling me a lot more on Michigan than you did on Evan, on Evan, <laughs> Mobley, Evan Mobley, who I the think a potential lot of national are, player of the year. Yeah, I think a lot of people are pretty into uh, the idea of watching Evan Mobley play more basketball. Yeah, my number four on my list is Alabama. What? So I guess okay, has, we're an echo has, chamber on Alabama. This now, has no, no, this has nothing to do with belief in Alabama. And right. This has everything to do with. I'm going to make a prediction. I think that this is the weekend. America comes to realize that we are dangerously close to having an elite Alabama basketball program to go along with an elite Alabama football program. And generally, people don't like seeing one person, one group of people... Just have all the success. Have all of the success. Yeah. So I think that there's a reckoning coming (laughs) for Alabama and more success for Alabama. There's a reckoning coming. I think that more success for Alabama... His name is Joe Burrow. His name is uh, Mick Cronin, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that this is the weekend that America... America gets behind Mick Cronin as L.A goes against him and then America gets goes against Alabama. America picking a major metropolis over the south? Uh, I've never seen that story play out before. Wow. Yeah, I think I so I have a, I have yo, a lot of we're, belief in we're Alabama. about the, the real LA, lower I, Alabama. The real LA. I have a lot of belief in Alabama. I think that America is going to start hating on him because it's tough to see one pro like I can't think of anything that's been as close to this as like Ohio State football and basketball being yeah, good at the same time. Yeah, Florida had the, Florida the, had the double yeah. ups with, uh, uh, I think Tebow was 
the second national title at Florida. Maybe not. Maybe just a little bit before him. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was 08 or 09. Yeah. So I mean, they had. They've got. I think it's happened twice ever that a school has won the national title in basketball and football. And I'm pretty sure it was Florida both times. And I'm also pretty sure that they beat Ohio State in both championship games in one of those. I think so. So uh, that's fun. And we'll track it. I mean, yeah, Alabama would be pretty hateable if they, they got this done on both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, SEC, SEC, it just means more, baby. Okay, number three, Leonard Hamilton. Everybody loves Len- Leonard Hamilton. Everybody loves Leonard Hamilton. He's awesome. He overperforms every year. He's just a really good coach. But to me, although FSU has won a turning game in each of the past four tournaments they participated in, it was almost a certainty that they would have won in a fifth straight tournament had they played last year, had they won the league. Probably Leonard Hamilton's best team in Tallahassee, right? They were ranked the highest of any team I believe he's ever had. They were ranked in the top five when the year ended. Yeah, they would have been the the number one two. They they felt very Alabama this year. Right. Yeah. So with all that on record, um, think about how few coaches can actually say that they've won a tournament game in what is now five straight tournaments because of this year. That's not a long list. It's shorter than you you think. Certainly, he's gone to the Sweet Sixteen. He's been to the Elite Eight in the last two tournament appearances, but they've never broken through in his entire career as a head coach. They've never, whatever team he's been coaching, they've always overperformed. They've never gotten to the Final Four. If he wants to cement himself amidst, like, the real greats in the sport right now, and keep in mind, although he doesn't look much older than 55, he's approaching his 70s, if not in his 70s. He's mm-hmm. older than Long Kruger. He's a lot older than people. Yeah, he's older than Long Kruger. I don't know how many more bites of the apple he's going to have left, especially with a super talented guy like Scotty Barnes on roster. They seem to recruit pretty well every year, but... MJ Walker, you know, the guys on this team are probably going to be gone in the next year or so. And Gray, it, it should be now. They've got an opportunity against a team that we thought was hobbled in Michigan to make it happen. It needs to be now for them. And, like, for me, I'm nobody is like an outward hater of Leonard Hamilton, right? Everybody loves Leonard Hamilton. But I've my criticism of Florida State is they're fun. They win a couple games, but they don't win the one they're not supposed to. So... I am the hater of Leonard Hamilton. They have the it is me. number nine recruiting class next year. So the yeah. success, and you know that And it's, none of them will start. One of them is a seven foot three guy. Yeah, that guy's definitely not starting. So um, I, I think I completely agree with you that people aren't necessarily haters of Leonard Hamilton. They're more so haters of the idea of a non-Virginia, UNC, Duke, ACC contender, like title contender. Yeah. That's what it seems like is... Right. Mostly the um, apprehension to fully going in on the Seminoles. And I can see it because it seems like every year they either are like a nine seed and they beat Xavier as a one and they get to the Sweet 16 and they outperform expectations, or they're a two or they're a three or a four seed and they get to the Sweet 16 and they get up Elite Eight and everybody's like, oh, I could, I, they're the yeah, team that beats that. a one and then they don't, they don't. do it. Yeah. So they either outperform expectations or. Meet end up or meet them and usually end up in the Sweet 16 Elite Eight and never further and never short of that. Right. It's like, when are we going to advance the narrative? When is the next? Per- and that was a story for Villanova for the longest time under Jay Wright. Same thing with Virginia, right? Maybe a little bit more negative because they would get upset. Florida State hasn't had that happen yet. But until you break through, you haven't broken through. 
And that's my criticism of Florida State. Yeah, Florida Florida State's like the inverse of Virginia in that Virginia's talent and their style of play right. made them more upsettable, whereas Florida State's overwhelming physical talent makes it so that them getting upset is almost a near impossibility, but right. them getting beat by good sound teams. good teams is very likely. Yep. So, yeah. All right, my number three is Houston and Quentin Grimes. This is one where... You you are I, the primary hater on this okay, one. Okay, but think back to November. Yeah. I had them in the Final Four preseason. You did? So I did that, and then I started watching them throughout the year, and I started watching them thump bad teams and be very, eh, not very, not very much fun um, against good teams, kind of get bailed out in certain situations. The, uh, the three-pointer to beat... Um, Memphis in what was that? I think that was the Sunday of the Missouri Valley Championship game, so a week before conference. Sounds about right. Week. Yeah, it was in that extra purgatory week that they built in. Yeah, those games kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. Um, Wichita State, the Quentin Grimes show was not very fun when they played at Wichita State. They lost that night. So I'm not a full blown hater, but I have my doubts about Houston, and that's why on. Monday night show, mm-hmm. I said, I think Loyola Chicago is more likely to make the final four than Houston is, even though Loyola Chicago yeah. is the eight and Houston's the two. I, th- I think I like them the least out of the four teams remaining in their side of the bracket. In the Midwest? Like, if they played Oregon State at that point, Oregon State's a team of destiny. Yeah. If, so th- they would be my pick. If I, <laughs> I think I'm picking Syracuse over them. I'll explain why later. And I'm definitely picking Loyola. So yeah, for me at least, I'm a super hater. Okay, so you're more of a hater than I am because I I think that they are, well, I, the Syracuse versus Houston debate, like it's not your typical 11 versus a 2. No, it's, it's not. It's Jim Beheim. It's a program that is used to outperforming expectations in March um, when they're, it's the, they are, Syracuse is just like Florida State. Except for instead of having tall, lanky guys, they just have zone play. They, they have players yeah. that fit playing zone basketball. And apparently they threes. can shoot now. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're an incredible. <laughs> Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim just make everything that they look at from yeah. 25 plus. Syracuse and Houston, I think, are equally as likely to make the Final Four as Loyola. And then Oregon State, yeah, Team of Destiny. If they beat Loyola Chicago, it would be wild to see that happen. Um, I have my doubts about Houston. We'll see what happens. The defense can certainly carry them, but I'm left thinking that they should have lost to Rutgers last week and shouldn't be here. And Rutgers choked down the stretch and gave that one away. So I will continue to be a hater who will also conveniently point out that I picked them to go to the Final Four preseason if it happens. You're hedging hard. I'm. It is a win-win scenario. That's called a hedge. Okay. So on that note... I'm going to say Oregon State. The haters are on them. Nobody wants to see them, and it's weird because they're a 12 seed, and normally people root for the underdog, right? Because it's a Power 5 program. But nobody wants to see them beat Loyola. Nobody. Yeah. And I kind of want to see how far the the rocket can go, how high it can fly. But the idea of a top 10 Ken Palm team against... Oregon State. Against Oregon Beaver State, Fever. who was like 90th in the country and adjusted efficiency right. as of like a week and a half ago. Um, 
the fact that America is not completely in on Oregon State, yeah, I think that they do. I don't know. Do they have haters or are people apathetic against Oregon State and they're, just they're so haters. in love? If you're not with the Beaver Fever, you're against us. Oh, it's uh, it's an it's us. A, it's an us. Back the pack, baby. <laughs> Explain your turncoat. I'm very supportive of Sister Jean. That's that's all you're gonna say. That's what I'm gonna. Yeah, that's. I mean, I mean, here's the other thing. As far as I'm concerned, Sister Jean's in the Final Four already. <laughs> Ethan Thompson. I learned this today. Shout out to uh, Ethan Schweiger for enlightening me to this nugget of information. So. Ethan Thomas's father is on the coaching staff at Oregon State, right? He, prior to becoming a coach, you would say he played, which is true. He did play. You want to know where he played? Is it Loyola Chicago? No, for Bim J. Hyman, the Syracuse Orange. So if we could get the orange-on-orange matchup, an 11 versus 12, Syracuse somehow would go into the Elite Eight and get to wear white. I think that'd be really cool, so I'm kind of rooting for it. But if Houston is not the team that emerges from this bracket, I will be content. I just realized Loyola will be wearing white on Saturday. Yep. Quite a quite a thought. Yep. You have so Oregon State was year two. Yeah, because everybody's hating on Oregon. State. Nobody. If you're a 12 seed in the Sweet 16, normally you've got the wind at your back in terms of the fan support, but nobody's cheering for Oregon State. And like. Loyola should have been like a, a five seed, people. Yeah. Like, I, I have nothing else to add. You're not going to get any debate on me in, in terms of saying that Loyola was underseeded. Um, and I would have been, I would have been a vocal, vocal person saying that Illinois, um, or that Loyola got screwed in playing right. Illinois had they lost that game. My number two goes along with. Your idea of Oregon State, my number two is the Pac-12 by itself because there are plenty of haters that will say the Pac-12 can't win a national championship. It's not in any situation or spot to make it likely to win a national championship anytime soon. And to that, I will say those haters forget that the Pac-12 was a very good basketball league just a few years ago. This is, I think, the only time the Pac-12... I think it's happened twice before that they've had four in the Sweet 16, though. Yeah, and just think about, though. 20... What was it? 17, you had Lonzo Ball. Right. And you had a very... That was... DeAndre Aiden. Right? That was 2018. 2018. So well, I'm thinking... Straight, yeah, two straight year. years, lottery guys. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Markel Fultz was in the league, didn't do anything in terms Great of... Great Oregon teams, that time span. And no matter what happens... On Sunday night between Oregon and USC, mm-hmm. the conference is going to get a swing at a Final Four appearance for the first time since 2017. Yeah, for the first time since that Oregon team, which mm-hmm. you can make your argument that they shouldn't have that Oregon could have won the national championship that year. You could have made yeah. the argument that they had an extremely lucky three point shooting Elite Eight game and or the Sweet 16 game and could have lost to right, but they Derek Walton in Michigan. Had so, to go through a bunch of adversity without Chris Boucher, who they lost right before this tournament. And, I mean, that's an NBA player, a legit NBA player, and not a lot of teams can just recover like that. So I've already mentioned that Mick Cronin has the haters. Mick yeah. Cronin has a tough road. You've said that Oregon State has the haters. Oregon State has a tough <laughs> yes. road. 
And then we have USC and Oregon, who USC has Evan Mobley, who you Conference said of champions. has the haters. Do you see what I'm saying? Conference this of haters. The conference of haters. Yeah. And we might get a full dosage of Bill Walton as well. I want an Oregon v. Oregon national championship game. Yeah. Oregon State versus Oregon. They would give it to They me. would actually push the tip time. They would just decide to not play. Yeah. So the, the my last point for for the Pac-12 being number two on the opportunities to prove the haters wrong list is just that they put Oregon USC in the very last time slot you on Sunday it. night because they wanted to tell the East Coast, hey, if there's we know that you understand that one of these two teams who play in the same conference is going to get a chance at the Elite Eight. So if you want to, you can just turn your TV off, come back on Tuesday night, and see which one's going to play Gonzaga. Yep. They're giving the East Coast that. So hate on top of hate, more opportunities for people to ignore them. The Conference of Champions is number two on the, the opportunities to prove the haters wrong list. All right. Heading into the Sweet 16. Staying with the Pac-12, but not actually. I'm making a joke. Number one for me is Mark Few and Gonzaga. Um, it's obvious, but mine, I think it's mine true. As well. So yeah, we can and just discuss this together. Neither of us put Scott Drew. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Look yeah. at us maturing. No. <laughs> that, that felt like low-hanging fruit. So yeah, 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 we are maturing. <laughs> yeah. Refined palate. Um, okay, so this one's obvious. It is true. Gonzaga is now one of only four programs ever, ever, to go to six. They've gone to six straight Sweet 16s. Likely would have done it last year, too. They join UCLA, Duke, and UNC. But I think it's still publicly regarded, again, as I'm not casting aspersions on these people, but the folks who don't follow anything until the bracket comes out and then they look to make their upset picks, I think, you know, is still the team that uh, I'm pretty sure some people still think Adam Morrison plays for Gonzaga. And that is not the case. Um, Kelly Olenek. Right, exactly. They, they look for the fraud team that chokes. And winning a national championship, as we already talked about, for Virginia, for Villanova, it vanquishes all of that and cements Few's spot in the goat pasture in the sky of great coaches. I mean, he joins an elite company, probably enters the discussion to be one of the top 20, maybe even top 10, if he can keep winning at this level, coaches of all time. If he gets this one. And for that reason, he's got a lot of haters to prove wrong. He also has a lot of haters to prove wrong based on the fact that people are going to say, COVID tournament. Yep, he's still going to catch the asterisks. They didn't play 40 games. It's not like they went undefeated or anything. Well, but if they go undefeated, it's like, oh, you went 33-0, you didn't go 40-0. You didn't have to play. You didn't didn't get to 38-0 like Kentucky did. Played the hardest non-con literally in the history of college basketball in terms of the numbers next to the teams they beat's names. But you're right, and that's the point that's ridiculous. And But but at the same time, like the WCC is mm-hmm. Gonzaga, it's BYU, right. and then it's eight to ten more teams of— Eight to ten more teams. I don't, that is the WCC. I, I don't—no, no, no. I don't—I say that because I don't know if it's a 10-team league or a 12-team league off the top of my well, head. Well, I just don't think it matters. That was the joke I was the, making. The point being that those eight to ten teams would all be 15 or 16 seeds if they somehow fluked their way into winning that yeah. league championship. So um, Gonzaga gets a tune-up all year long beating up on— Bad teams. Bad teams— and we forget what they did in November. We forget what they did in December. If they 
get beat by a hot Creighton team and Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballack, and them just start cashing three-pointers against them mm-hmm. all day long. They'll still win by 10. Well, I mean, the spread is 13 and a half, which is And it wild, should be. Which is and wild. it should be. They are that good. But if any of that happens, the hater fuel is going to go to a, a different level. Yeah, this is this one's a little different than anything I think Mark Few's ever been a part of. For sure. And he should. He's got four guys who were top five at their position in national award voting. He has, on any given night, he can go to Timmy, he can go to Suggs or Kispert, even yep. Joel Ayayi, and like... Who got a triple-double this year in the game, yeah. by the way, and is their fourth best player. And they can just figure it out of who's going to go drop 25, who's going to drop right. 30. Yeah. No, and like, I thought it was a credit to Mark Titus and Tate Frazier, who talked to... Corey Kispert, after they won their last game against Oklahoma, they asked him the question kind of facetiously, kind of not, about whether or not like they predetermine whether or not one of them is going to go off in each game. And like Kispert kind of said, well, yeah, we kind of look at the tape and then we decide which one of us is going to drop 25 that game. And they do it every single game and they don't miss a beat. Like, I don't know what to tell you. This is one of the best teams that I've ever watched play. They would smoke 2018 Duke if they played. I'm confident in that. Well, 2018 Duke lost to 2018 Gonzaga, and that's Gonzaga or team. 2017. I'm talking about 2019. The, 2019, so okay, But cool. they that the Zion-Duke team lost to the Rui Hachimura-Gonzaga team right. in Maui. And true, also this, true. That Rui Hachimura team is nothing would compared not to this sniff one. this Gonzaga team. Yeah. So I also want to point out that the adjusted efficiency metrics – between Gonzaga, who's one, and Baylor, who's two, 37.35 to 29.74. The difference between Gonzaga at one and Baylor at two is the same as the difference between Baylor at two and Oregon or Virginia, who are 16 and 17. That is absurd and points even more to, like, the haters wouldn't necessarily be wrong if Gonzaga (laughs) loses and doesn't win the national championship in saying that they— choked away by far the most overwhelmingly like gifted greatest, teams greatest yeah. Gonzaga team that they've ever had and will probably ever have I don't know how it would get better than this yeah. aside from them signing a Kentucky class of five and five even stars. still even still even still yeah because Kispert is yeah they added super they senior added stud. their best recruit ever to a team with two All-Americans yeah, yeah. okay you're number one I said Gonzaga. You said Gonzaga too. Okay, so we just... Yeah. Yeah, okay. We're on the same page. Simpatico. Let's pick some Sweet 16 games. You're the betting expert. You'll do them against the spread. I am not the betting expert. I'll just do a money line because, I mean, I don't bet. Ha. Moral superiority. Take that. Okay, we'll start with... Are we not ranking coaches? We are not ranking coaches. We do not have time, sir. It is 437. We've got to get through 16 or eight games of basketball. Okay, Okay, cool. Loyola and Oregon State, we're just going to go through these chronologically based on when they're going to be played. This will be the first game on the 27th, 11 local time, tip-off. Maybe the best game of the weekend. Oregon State is 12-1 and against the spread in their last 13 games. You might say that means you back Oregon State plus 6.5. I would say... That means that they're due for regression. They can't keep shooting 40-plus percent from three. I mean, they could. They're not going to continue to shoot 40-plus percent from three against the number one defensive team in the country in points per game and in efficiency. Yep. 
I think Loyola Chicago wins this one in a route. I think that this Oregon State team, honestly, I understand that it's not the same because Xavier Steed was probably a better player than like Ethan Thompson is relative to mm-hmm. peers. But this Oregon State team screams Kansas, Kansas State, State in the Elite Eight in 2018. Yeah. And I think that Loyola Chicago wins this one going away. Okay, so I would I, take Loyola Chicago minus six and a half. I kind of see it a little bit. I will say this, that I think we're going to see a lot of Loyola switching like hell, which is something that Oregon State's not seen. You don't see that at the college level, teams switching the amount that Loyola does because it, it really is an NBA-type defense the way they play. I think you're going to see a lot of guys getting run off the line, right? Will guys like Ethan Thompson be able to drive by that defender, get into the mid-range, and hit shots over Cam Crotwick. If so, I think they can keep it relatively close. I still would probably bet on Loyola, but Ethan Thompson is the best scorer in this game, which gives Oregon State a chance, right? I'd be they scared. also have a seven-footer to go up and throw at Crutwig. Yeah, but we just saw what Kofi looked like against Crutwig. The body control fair. of Cam Crutwig. But Kuma is not a seven-footer. But if they want to go small, there's plenty athletic enough to be their primary rim, prote- rim protector and come out and kind of make it tough for Cam. I don't know. I think this but is not going to be a blowout. It'll be interesting to see because the drop coverage that Illinois was playing yeah. against Crutwig is exactly what Loyola wants you to do against right. them. Um, so I don't know how they're going to guard Crutwig, but Tinkle's going to have to find something to figure that out. Um, is really- I just don't... At some point, the magical run has to end. <laughs> I this mean, Oregon State team is not that good. They lost to ASU. I have to point that out again. All, I did not watch Oregon State much during the regular season. Some, a fair amount. I, I felt fairly in tune with them as a team coming into the conference tournament. But I will also add this. People who follow Oregon State, who cover Oregon State, said there has been a change in this program. Even coaches that have played against Oregon State, there's been a change in this team that is tangible at like a right angle like they've never seen before. Like this is a completely different basketball team than how they were playing um, middle of the year. And uh, Coach Tinkle deserves a lot of credit in that. Um, And I I mean, I don't know. The ceiling is the roof. They're still not as good as Loyola. They aren't, but they aren't as good as either the teams that they've beaten in the tournament or the the teams they beat in Vegas to get here. So I don't know. Anything is possible. We'll move on. Um, from that, I just want to throw out one last kind of tactical point. I wonder if the answer is to hard double Crutwig and just risk him hitting the free cutter to the rim. That's a horrible idea. Force the ball out of his hands. Hard. Like, make somebody else initiate the offense, which has not happened all year long. No, the reason that Loyola beats you is because they have Crutwig's a point guard and Braden Norris is a point guard. And Lucas Williamson is a very capable passer. Loyola is going to, if, if they find the open man, they will kill them yeah. with cuts and layups. Okay, fair enough. It'll be ugly. Fair enough. Okay, let's move on to Baylor Nova. <laughs> Does Jay Wright get the better of Scott Drew, or does Baylor just do what they do? I'm so torn by this. So it's, it's Scott. Villanova has no business winning this game, it's, by the way. It's Scott Drew with. It's Jay Wright with a week to prepare against Scott Drew, who historically has had more trouble in the Sweet 16 and the first day of the tournament than he has in the second game. With that being said, I don't know what Villanova's guards are going to do 
against Butler, Teague, and Mitchell. Yeah. And based on that alone, and I hate predicting blowouts, but Baylor minus 7.5, I like Baylor minus 7.5. Yeah, and I mean, like, for Baylor, they can— if you can take away Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who's been at about 20 points per game, been over season average in their first two tournament games, given, I mean, it's not exactly that they played, you know, Winthrop in North Texas, but if they can take him away by either going small and having Mark Vidal guard him and play like a Hampton Five center type role, or Shamwa Shashua using his athleticism to try and make it difficult for him, Villanova has no chance of winning this game, right? Like, they need Jeremiah Robinson Earl to put up a 20-10 and 10 to have a chance. And I think that people are going to get thrown off by the fact that Villanova got to the second weekend, and it's like, you pointed out, they, they, beat, played, they yeah. beat Winthrop, who was an overseed a 12, 12 and a 13. And they beat North Texas, who was a 13 seed. So, they've yet to play. I mean, you can say what you want about Chandler Vaudrin and, and his ability, but... Who Chandler, was not that good in that. He scored seven yeah, points. He was not very good, and he's just... He he doesn't hold weight to what yeah. Butler, Teague, and Mitchell can do. Like right. That's it's I a think, yeah. massive advantage there, and it's significantly more of an advantage than anything that JRE can do against uh in terms of his advantage that he holds, him and Caleb Daniels against mm-hmm. the interior of Baylor. So I, I like Baylor big. Yeah. And I can't I, believe I'm saying that. I can't I, I believe I agree. With Gillespie, maybe we're having a different discussion. But Arkansas, Oral Roberts. This game's going to have everybody's attention. It's in kind of the prime timey window. That that well, maybe a little bit early for prime time, but that four p.m. kind of little spot. That's where this okay. game sits. Okay, Oral Roberts and I don't know for this for fact, but I have to imagine they have the leading scorer in the tournament. They also have the guy who's number two, three. Well, Max A. Smith is tied oh, okay, time, with time, Buddy Bayheim okay. at 27.5. Okay. And actually, believe it or not, Kevin O'Banner is the leading scorer on this team. He's a big, can like maybe present some problems. Uh, Justin Smith and him are going to go at it in the post. That's going to be fun to watch. Is Arkansas just too athletic, too long, too fast for Oral Roberts to have a shot? Or do you see a pathway for the Golden Eagles to keep this alive? America's team. They were leading in the second half. That's true when they played. Against Arkansas. Both teams are very different teams. Well, I'm not going to speak for Oral Roberts. Arkansas is a significantly different team. At that point in time, I believe they were starting Connor Vanover. And this ultimately comes down to three-point shooting. Yeah. And three-point shooting mostly to Oral Roberts because Arkansas, they can and will make threes, but they don't. They're not like Alabama. They don't rely upon threes, and they're, them making threes doesn't deter— it, They don't have this three-point variance that mm-hmm. it's their SEC peer does. Um, whereas, if this is going to get into being a blowout, it's going to be because Arkansas pounds it inside the entire game, maybe gets some foul trouble, dominates the pace, or Robert starts chucking threes. They have a tough day shooting, and it, it gets ugly. Mm-hmm. I think Oral Roberts has so much confidence, and while I don't necessarily agree with people who in the like Sweet 16 reseeds have been like, oh, Oral Roberts is the 12th best team remaining, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But they were they finished, what, third in their regular— Fourth. Fourth in their leading and regular season. part of that has to do with the fact that they played a tough uh, non-con, mm-hmm. matched, up with, matched up with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, and then they went and played in their league, which did the— you play the same team twice in a weekend, which is obviously right. going to... It's it's hard to beat a team two straight days in a row. 
and that's going like to create it, three times. Yeah. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Long story short, I can't. I don't think that all of these games are going to be blowouts, and I don't think that Oral Roberts is getting beat by more than eleven points. So okay. I would take Oral Roberts plus eleven. Okay. Um, I think they'll cover as well. Um, I am tempted to say outright. I'll say this also: Arkansas is the youngest team left in the tournament by age. They play. They start three freshmen. Um, and I mean, they've come together. They've gotten a lot better as a team. I think what they've lost two of their last 15, 16. Now at this point, the loss in the SEC tournament. And then I believe they took one more loss before they went to Nashville. I can't remember. Something like that. They've been on a tear. I want to see Eric Musselman running around with his shirt off as much as the next guy. That's odd. I said the next guy, the next guy might not want to see it very much. (laughs) Okay. Um, okay, but like I do think Oral Roberts has a legit chance to win this game. They're going to have the two best scores on the floor at any given time. They've got a shot. They do. Believe this or not, Gabe, uh, Justin Smith is also like top five in scoring. He's averaging 25 points per game, 24.5. Like, I don't know where that came from. How many did he have against Colgate? 30. Okay, that makes sense then. That but he also sense. had a 20-plus game in... Their next one. So, I mean, take it for what you will. Yeah, you, would, you, you would say Moses Moody would be their guy, but he hasn't necessarily been. Houston versus Syracuse. I have a ton on this game, so yeah. Syracuse plus six and a half is the play. They're going to win money line. I'll tell you why. Well, I'll tell you why. Let I me, don't, t- okay, t- let me tell you why. Tell me on this. Houston is the second best in the nation in offensive rebounding against a zone that Syracuse runs. That could be a problem. Mm. That's always the Achilles heel Four zone defenses is that everybody's eyes are not turned towards the rim that you can get offensive rebounds. That is a place where I could see Syracuse getting tripped up, losing this game. But if they can clean the offensive glass, Houston is the fifth best. And this is sounding like I'm pushing towards Houston. I promise that there will be a turning of the tables. Houston is the fifth best three-point defense in the nation by opponent percentage. 28.3% opponents have shot this year. In the three losses they've taken, though, this season... Opponents have shot an average percentage of 42% from deep and have made at least seven threes. 18% Gabe of the threes that Houston has surrendered this season by volume have come in their three games that they've lost. Tulsa, ECU, and Wichita State. Well, guess what? Syracuse meets the criteria of a team that's going to shoot the heck out of the ball. They've made at least seven threes or more in their last nine and have passed that mark in 19 of 28 games. I believe in the tournament they've made 14 threes and 15 threes. To me, especially with Jarrell Hurts, definitely not at 100%, it looks like Syracuse is going to shoot the heck out of the ball and win by eight points. Eight points. Take it to the bank. (laughs) Tease the line up. So, you said a lot there. And a lot regarding three-point defense, which I think that teams have very little control over. And by the way, Houston's played against a schmucky league in the American this year. Uh, and full, yes, I did full, say schmucky. Yeah, because it's a, it's full of a lot of teams that aren't necessarily the greatest offensively, which would strengthen my belief that their three-point defense is artificially inflated. It's, I mean, it's really, at that point, like 28.3% seems legit. Top five in the country. <laughs> I still don't think so. I think that a lot of it has to do with just 
lock. Okay. That being said, Buddy Beheim is a great shooter. Joe Joe Girard is a great th- shooter. I can see, and I would predict Syracuse at least keeps it close. Plus six and a half seems like a fair bet, considering. Would you say Syracuse is a better team than Rutgers? Yeah. Would, I, would you have said that pre-tournament? I would have said they were equitably average. Okay. Rutgers controlled that game the entire time. Yeah, and choked. And choked down the stretch. And if there's one thing I do know about Quentin Grimes, it's that he's not the greatest decision maker with the ball. So seeing him against a zone is going to be an interesting thing to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't know if Syracuse wins outright. What I do know is that Loyola Chicago probably would rather see Houston than Syracuse. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And with that all being said, Syracuse plus six and a half is my pick. Yep. Are we on the same picks overall, pretty much? Uh, I am not fully decided. Well, you've on gone Arkansas. Arkansas money line. You're picking, you're picking I, I, straight I, up. Uh, give me War Roberts. No, stop it. Now you're just gonna curse that pick. You're gonna curse that pick. You just ruined Paul Mills' weekend. Okay, do you want me to take Oregon State then? Like, you said you want to see Must Bus okay, with his shirt off as much as the next guy. Hedging. Just take Arkansas. The next guy might not want to see it very bad. I don't know. Talk to the next guy. Gonzaga and Creighton. All right. Creighton plus 13 and a half. That's too many points. I'm just gonna say that. Creighton Creighton's I gonna, think Gonzaga covers. Creighton, unlike Oklahoma is not going to just mid-range jumper themselves to death. The no, they'll time. free themselves to death. And I'm betting on Zagorowski and Mitch Ballack, the pride of Eudora, Kansas, making a bunch of threes. And I am betting on a huge game from Jalen Suggs because those long threes lead to long runouts when you don't make them. And Jalen Suggs is at his absolute best catching lobs off the backboard in transition. I think that this is going to be a route. Um, I'm kind of shocked Creighton has gotten to this point, given all the circumstances around their season. I'll give you one more stat. Creighton without a true rim protector. Nobody really to stop Drew Timmy, right? Get a load of this. Gonzaga's had a season of record-breaking on pace at this trajectory. If they just do what they've done all year, to be the best two-point shooting team in the history of college basketball— Inside the three-point line, they are shooting 63.6%. They are the team equivalent to Yudoka Azbuki. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. And I'll leave you with Creighton is basically the equivalent of BYU, who gave Gonzaga a good game. 24th in offense efficiency, BYU is 25th. Uh, 32nd in defense efficiency, BYU is 29th. Creighton plus 13 halves the pick. Okay. Michigan and Florida State, this is the game that actually people are saying is the game of the weekend. And I would say so many people are on Florida State. It's the upset pick. It's the thing that everyone yeah. is like. They're Michigan upsets the upset. Yeah, Michigan bucks the upset. Just like just like we got to, and I wish I would have flipped this in my picks in the bracket. By the end of the week, it was pretty apparent that Villanova was not losing to Winthrop. And by yeah. the end of... What time does this t- game tip off? Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it's going to be apparent that Michigan is, this is a two p.m. Game. is the better game. Is yeah. the better team. Michigan minus two and a half. There's just pick. too many guys from Michigan that can step up. I think we've seen it out of Shondi Brown. We've seen it out of Elijah uh, Elijah Hughes. No, Elijah Hughes played at Syracuse. Who am I thinking of? Eli Brooks. Eli Brooks. Wow, I was having a conversation about Elijah Hughes earlier today. I'm good for at least one of those a show. Okay, Eli Brooks had a, a monster game against LSU. I swear I watch college basketball. 
Um, I mean, Hunter Dickinson's had obviously moments throughout the year. There's just too many guys, Mike Smith, that can step up for Michigan. And I trust those dudes to be that in this stage more than I, I trust the guys from Florida State. So I think Michigan's going to win outright. Okay. UCLA and Bama tugging at your heart, tearing it in two different directions. Bama is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I feel like UCLA covers. I feel like Alabama wins. I like Bama to cover as well, minus six and a half. I think that it's a blowout. I think that UCLA can only go so far. 63rd in adjusted defensive efficiency. I think Alabama can take advantage of that, and Alabama's defense is good enough to uh, stifle a UCLA offense that surprisingly is top 15 in the country now, offensive efficiency-wise. Very surprisingly just skyrocketed up in the NCAA tournament. Okay. Which is weird given how they played against Oregon State in the Pac-12 tournament. Okay. Nate Um, I um, This is the weekend America turns on him. I'm telling you. They don't want to see us winning. Um, UCLA, I think, you know, they had a great run. I think they can win this game. But I just don't see a world in which Alabama can roll eight deep. With maybe maybe if we're looking at a team UCLA team and mind you UCLA is without their best player, they lost Chris Smith before the conference season started or like very early in it. But is Johnny Juzang the best player? Like would well he, if Chris Smith was there, I'm confident he wouldn't be. I don't know. Johnny Juzang's a bucket now. And you know Jaime Hawkins can shoot too. I wouldn't be surprised if UCLA is able to reach 70 in this game in a game that they lose like 72 to 80. Or like, which wouldn't or be good enough lose, to cover. Or they lose like Maryland lost. And just get three to death. And, and Alabama like, makes 16 threes and you ask how'd our season end 40 minutes later. Yeah. Yep. That's possible. We got to move on. We got two minutes to the end of the show. USC and Oregon. To me, the strategy for Oregon is pretty clear. Do the exact same thing you did against Iowa. You're obviously not going to just make a billion threes um, again and have five guys in double figures. But let Evan Mobley get his. Don't let him make the little touch passes to the perimeter and let guys hit threes on you. You don't have you, your center six eight. You're not going to stop Evan Mobley. Just concede on that one. Run people off the line. Make people beat you driving, hitting layups. I think if they do that, I think they win. I think Dana Allman's smart enough to dial that in. I'm going to take Oregon reluctantly. This is the biggest toss up pick them I think of the weekend. At least the games yeah. that are currently yeah. slated. I had USC going to the lead eight on Selection Sunday. I had USC going to the lead eight all all week long. Never talked myself out of it. Yep. Andy Enfield is nine and zero against the spread all time in the NCAA tournament. That's insane. USC They've minus won so two. few of those games too. <laughs> USC minus no, he won. He's won at least four. Well, the FGCU run. I'm talking about at USC. Okay, but he's he's nine and zero against the spread all time in the NCAA tournament. USC minus two is my pick. I am not an Evan Mobley doubter. Apparently, I'm the Evan Mobley hater. I guess so. We've answered the question. Oregon, uh, last nugget, top five scores have missed a combined 20 games. Um, they're finally healthy, and you're seeing what they look like, which is something I said all year long. Given they played USC and lost by 13 when they played in the Galen Center because they couldn't stop Evan Mobley. So we'll see if they learned anything. Quickly, scholarships and sanctions, you got anything? Scholarship to standalone Sweet 16 games. That's going to be great. Sanction to Myron Medcalf for re-ranking the remaining 16 seeds and putting all four Pac-12 programs behind Oral Roberts. That's just literally stupid. Uh, I'm going to give a sanction to missed layups. Uh, I, I saw this. 
And given I'm not one of those people who's like, lower the rims, women's basketball is incredible. But I saw a couple layup misses this weekend where the ball from point blank just went in an arc over the rim. And like, I was just like, how? This happens in the men's side too, but it's just like, I was watching the women's tournament and I'm like, what on earth? A couple times. So I'm going to give a, a sanction there, but a scholarship overall to the women's bracket quality of play. You had a Page demolition in the first nuts. round. Every high seed won. Like, it was not a hard thing to, My you know, bracket like, looked incredible. miss one pick. Yeah, because if you just went chalk and let ESPN fill the bracket in for you, you did pretty well. But we've had some incredible games in the second round, so scholarship there, playing through much more adverse circumstances than they should ever have to. That's been Heat Check. That's the sound of the buzzer. We will catch you, I guess, on Saturday after the first round of games are played. Yeah. So, all right, we'll see you then. Thanks for tuning in. Heat Check is that time. Sunday or Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Headed to the top of the top of this. You can never reach uh, these goals. in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high, so you know Aye. I had to run it back. Blazes a ball and we run it like a running back. Gabe, I try, so you know Aye. we having fun with that. Turn you in the off, so you know Aye. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that.